0: The following teaching is possible thanks to the friends and partners of Spirit and Truth Fellowship International. Today I want to talk about giving yourself permission to enjoy life. Now that sounds funny, and I'll stay right away there there are, A lot of people out there that enjoy life way too much and don't take it seriously enough. And so for those people, what I'm saying is I give you permission to take life seriously. But, you know, the people I want to address in this teaching are people that... For some reason or other, they either don't think it's good or they don't think it's the will of God to really enjoy life. Or uh, they may have self-destructive thoughts like, you know, just just about the time you're going to do something for yourself, just about the time you're going to take time for yourself, just about the time that you're really going to enjoy something. Maybe spend a little money on yourself. Like I say, take a little time for yourself. Just about that time, there's a a series of self-destructive thoughts You know, I don't deserve this. And there's some people that really believe that the the whole thrust of the Bible is that uh, we're not really supposed to enjoy ourselves. Life is, is supposed to be serious and we're supposed to take life seriously and and there's even some denominations that for example uh, won't let you sing on the sabbath or hum or whistle. Oh, you shouldn't do that on the sabbath. You know, because God's holy. So when we're around God, you know, it's it's like we've got to be super serious or something. And God God made the world and He made it fun and He made it a place for us to enjoy. God likes it when we enjoy life. I mean, if we simply relate as children to God, I mean, I have children and I'll tell you what, and I have grandchildren, and it's really cool when they're having fun. I enjoy that. I enjoy seeing them, I enjoy hearing the sounds when your children have fun god's our father and we're his children and he created the world so that we could have fun and yet sometimes in, among christians it just there gets to be this thing about how we're not it's not holy or something to enjoy life and so i want to come right right at that if i could first of all We have the example of Jesus Christ. And granted, there aren't a whole lot of examples of Jesus Christ where he's laughing and cutting up with the disciples, but there are a couple. And I think that those are important to pay attention to. Uh, my favorite one, let's just go over my favorite one. It was right after feeding the 5,000, Jesus was up in the Galilee area. He was on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee and he'd fed the 5,000. It had been a long day. And so he sends the apostles away on a boat to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which, you know, is like six miles or something. It's, its I mean, at it, it best, uh, it wasn't a very long row for them in a boat. Uh, and he get, gets off on a mountainside to pray. So let's read the record, of course, in the record, this giant storm comes up. So this is Mark chapter 6. Now, this particular account of Jesus walking on the water occurs in Matthew, Mark, and John. We'll read the account in Mark, starting in chapter 6, verse 45. And immediately he, that's Jesus, compelled his disciples to enter into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side toward Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the multitude away. Because he just fed 5,000 people, so there's a whole bunch of people. Verse 46 And after he had taken leave of them, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, so the, and this is important, so the apostles who were fishermen, who knew boats and they knew the sea, and they had left while it was still light rowing for the other side of the lake. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. And seeing them being battered as they rowed, that they hadn't gotten very far. <laughs> and seeing that they here they're being battered because of the wind, because of the waves. and he's sitting on the, the hillsides there on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. and he can actually still see them in the boat being battered as they rowed for the wind was against them. Then it was about the fourth watch of the night. Wait a minute. they left in the evening. Then you have the first watch of the night, that's from 6 o'clock until 9 o'clock at night. Then you have the second watch, that's from 9 o'clock till midnight. Then you have the third watch, that's from midnight to 3 a.m. Then you have the fourth watch, and that's from 3 in the morning until 6 in the morning. So this could have been somewhere around 3 in the morning, and the disciples had been rowing all night. You can bet they were beat, they were tired. And you think this is a time when Jesus, as serious as he is, would walk down on the lake and go right to the boat and bail them out of the problem. (laughs) <laughs> no, it says, seeing them being battered as they rowed for the wind was against them about the fourth watch of the night. So the earliest this could have been with 3 a.m. He came to them walking on the lake and he intended to pass by them. Now he knew he was going to stop, but in other words, you know, they're rowing and rowing and he's kind of walking along and like, yeah, you guys are having more trouble. You ought, to, you ought to try this. Try this walking thing on the water. This is a lot easier than what you're doing. He, he's just, he's making light of the whole situation. He's just going to pretend to walk by him. Of course, we know what happens. They see him. They start screaming. He says, it's me. And then then he gets them out of trouble, calls them the storm, and they get where they're going. But that to me is just, it just shows the depth of humor of Jesus Christ with these guys that he's working with, the, the apostles. You know, and and there are verses uh, that are translated in such a way that it makes it seem like we should be serious all the time. Like in Titus chapter 2 verse 6, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Titus who is one of his leaders talking about how men are supposed to be and how leaders are to be in the church. And this is the King James Version. And the King James Version of Titus 2.6 reads, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. So here we are, okay, I'm a young man, I'm supposed to be sober-minded, and so now I'm wondering whether I should smile or not, (laughs) you know, because I'm supposed to be sober-minded. You know, that's really not what the text is saying, but when you have a version that's as popular as the King James, translated in 1611, using a language that we don't really use anymore, you know, that things can get misunderstood. Let me read you some modern versions. This is the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Uh, same verse, Titus 2, six. In the same way, encourage young men to be self-controlled. Okay, you know, you can be happy. You can have fun and be self-controlled. <laughs> you know, that's, that's different. New American Standard Bible. Uh, likewise, urge young men to be sensible. You know, we're, we are supposed to be sensible even when we're having fun. You know, but it's, but it's not saying be sober-minded. You know, it's be self-controlled, be sensible. That's what the text is saying. But what happens is people get this idea of how serious life is and the, the truly godly person is serious all the time. And, and that's not at all true. You know, I think about the, the paintings of the saints. If you go into any art museum, and you, and you look at the paintings of Jesus Christ, of the Apostle Paul, of, of the Apostles, you know, they're, they're all... When do you ever see a painting of them smiling and having a good time? You almost never, ever see that. And I don't mean to make fun of these paintings because they're, they're serious works of art, but they influence how people think about the Scripture, and about life, and about how God wants us to be in life. And if the only thing you ever see, you know, especially if you were, it was before people could read or they couldn't read well, or they didn't have much to read, but they had a lot of art that influenced how they thought, and all you ever saw was people looking really sort of unhappy and very, very dour, very serious, then you would get the idea that, this is the way I'm supposed to be as a Christian. I'm supposed to be really serious. I'm, I'm not really supposed to have much fun, especially not on the Sabbath. And yet, that's simply not in the text of Scripture. God gave us this life to enjoy. I want to read a couple verses about rejoice, you know, in preparation for this teaching. I, I got my concordance out, and I looked up joy and rejoice hundreds of times. I thought, because you know I thought when I started uh, well I'll read them a a few verses about joy and rejoicing. (laughs) There were so many verses about joy and rejoicing I felt like now I'm going to let them read them themselves. There's thousands of verses about that. Okay not thousands but hundreds. Uh, I mean Philippians 3.1, furthermore brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord. Now can we rejoice in unhappy circumstances? Yes. But is that what the apostles Paul is saying here, I know you're in unhappy circumstances, but please have joy in your heart. No, he, he's saying, rejoice, guys. You know, enjoy life. Do, you know, he's not saying don't be serious about life or don't take life seriously. He's not saying that. But he's saying, you know, rejoice. Have a good time in your life. You know, sometimes people's circumstances are really tough. But even when life is kind of cloudy, there's still places where we can really, truly be happy. Really have joy break through. Uh, Philippians 4:4. 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Why does he have to say it twice? Because life is difficult, and it's easy to get caught up in. You know, I've got to be serious. And it's easy to get caught up in the fact that I can't, you know, take a day off for myself or I can't spend any money on myself or, you know, I can't enjoy this meal or, you, know, you get to a, a restaurant and there's a bottle of wine, you're like, oh, that's really expensive. You know, and I'm not saying not to be wise. Because we're about to go into Ecclesiastes, and when we're talking about, uh, about being joyful and enjoying life, you know, there's a couple things to keep in balance. One is wisdom. You know, if you don't have it, don't spend it. I mean, that's pretty clear. The Bible isn't saying run up your credit cards and hope that in, in some future day you'll have some money to pay them off. It's certainly not saying that. But it is saying to enjoy life. There's there's ways we can enjoy life in a a balance. Ecclesiastes has a lot about this, a lot about this. So I want to read about it. But before I do, I want to talk about the contrast. Because when we read in Ecclesiastes, we're going to read about eat, drink, and be merry. And what's going to happen is people are going to think of, wait a minute, I saw that in the scripture someplace. Eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow we will die. And that is in the scripture, so we need to talk about it. Because it's, it's intriguing that there are, in the scripture, there are two kinds of people that say, eat, drink, and be merry. Those people that, you know, kind of don't care about God, don't care about life, think they're going to die, don't care about it, and by golly, they're just going to party and die. And the Bible talks about that. So here in um, in Isaiah chapter 22. And what was going on in Isaiah chapter 22? Isaiah lived during the time of the Assyrian attack on Israel. Lots of people had died. And, and frankly, lots of people will die. And then there are scholars who say that even Isaiah 22 is about prophecies of the coming Babylonian attack and more people are going to die. And so here are these people saying, We don't have any chance against the Assyrians. We don't have any chance against the Babylonians. What what can we do? Let's just just eat and drink while we're here and then we'll die. Okay? That's a terrible attitude, frankly. You know, and, and that's what Isaiah 22 says. I'll read verse 12. In that day, the Lord Yahweh of armies... See, again... Tough times in Isaiah. In that day, the Lord, Yahweh of armies, called for weeping and for mourning and for baldness, meaning you, when, when things were really rough and you'd cut your hair off and dressing in sackcloth. In other words, you're mourning, you're appealing to God, you're, you're, you're praying to God, God, can you help us out of this situation? But look. Instead, there's joy and gladness, killing cattle, killing sheep, eating of meat, drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we will die. Those are the words of somebody who's just going to throw themselves into having a party and then the next day they're going to die and they don't care about the future. And frankly, they don't care about the fact that if they prayed to God in that tough situation might deliver them. And of course, the Apostle Paul picks up on that out of Isaiah in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so in chapter first, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, Paul says, you know, if you don't believe in the resurrection, if you think this life is all there is, I mean, you just die and you're dead. There's nothing else. You just are in the ground. You know, just we came here by evolution. We're just a product of chance. And then you die. And so that's the end of it. Well, then what's the point of life? There isn't a point of life. Life is random. Life is just chance. Life is thrown together molecules. So what do you do? Just eat and drink and die. And so what's the Apostle Paul say? For if merely human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what did it profit me if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. So what the Apostle Paul is talking about is, yeah, if there's no resurrection, if this is the only life there is, then yeah, just party and then die because nothing else would matter anyway. But of course, we know there is a resurrection and there is a judgment and we will be held accountable for what we do. And furthermore, the Bible says walk in wisdom. So we've got this balance here, okay? We, we want to we walk such a way that we please God and we, we want to walk in wisdom so that we don't become a burden to others because we've run out of money or whatever it happens to be. Can we in that situation, enjoy life? And the answer is yes, Not only can we, we should. And Ecclesiastes is a great book for talking about that and says it over and over. So Ecclesiastes chapter two verses 24, Here's the God speaking to us. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This I saw that it's from the hand of God. God gave us this world to enjoy. And he didn't mean work to be a burden. We're supposed to have enjoyment in our work as well. And then it says, For who can eat or who can have enjoyment apart from God? And that's true. Eat and drink and tomorrow we die. Life just becomes meaningless. But if there's a resurrection and a judgment, then we can enjoy this life and bless God and know we're going to do well at the judgment as well. Ecclesiastes 3, 4 says there's a time to laugh. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13 I know that there's nothing better for them than to enjoy, to rejoice, and to do good as long as they live, and also that each one should eat and drink and enjoy the good resulting from his labor. This is the gift of God, meaning if you work and you have some profit, take some time to enjoy that. <laughs> That's from the hand of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better then that a man should rejoice in his works for that is his portion for who can bring him to see what will be after him. We have this one life. <laughs> this is all we have. And then we're going to die. And then we're going to be raised. So nobody's going to bring you to see what's going to come later. You rejoice in your life. Now, Ecclesiastes 518. Here is what I've seen to be good. It is appropriate for one to eat and drink and see good in all his labor in which he labors under the sun all the days of his life that God has given him, for this is his portion. Eat, drink, see good in your labor. Amen. That's just enjoying life. That's saying, yeah, I can enjoy life. It's okay for me to enjoy life. It's okay for me to have some fun. It's okay for me to take some time for myself. We don't need to have all these self-destructive thoughts or these thoughts that say, I don't deserve this. Because God is saying, wait a minute, if you're working, (laughs) you deserve to enjoy the fruit of your work. Absolutely. Ecclesiastes 8.15 So, and I I love this just in the way it's worded. The the way it's worded is so cool because you can kind of see God. He says, so I recommend the enjoyment of life. (laughs) I love that. Here's God. He created us. He put us on the world. We're here to bless and please and obey him. And what does God say? Uh, By the way, I recommend the enjoyment of life because we're going to live life. The clock's going to tick. The sun's going to rise and set, rise and set, rise and set. We're going to live day after day after day. We can either live it being dour and sad and miserable or we can find ways to enjoy life. And I love what God says here. I recommend the enjoyment of life. I do too. I've lived both ways. I've lived sad, and I've lived trying to enjoy life, and enjoying life is a lot better. (laughs) So I recommend the enjoyment of life, says God, because a man has no better thing under the sun than to eat and drink and to be merry, and that will accompany him in all his labor all the days of his life. So we're going to have to work we need to make money. We need to support ourselves, and we need to have money to help other people and means to help other people as well. So we're going to have to work. But if life is all work, then we don't enjoy it. So he says, "Eat, drink, and be merry." That's what's going to accompany you in your work, as as you're working. You're thinking, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take some time after work. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna take some time with my friends. I'm gonna eat a meal. I'm gonna fellowship. I'm gonna have some fun. You know, whatever." And that's what God says. Uh, Re- um, Ecclesiastes 9, 7. Go and eat your bread with pleasure and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already accepted your works. Ooh, this is tough. You know, the, the, the commentators have had a hard time with this. And the scholars had and the rabbis had a a hard time because, you know, look what it says. Go and eat your bread with pleasure. Drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already accepted your works. And people just go flying off the deep end with this and, and don't know how to interpret. And they say, oh, so whatever I do, whatever work I do, God has accepted it. No, come on, that's not the way we handle the Bible. We're in the context here of God giving us things to do and telling us that when we work, we should eat and drink and be merry and enjoy the fruit of our labor. And what God is saying when he says, God has already accepted your works, he's saying, look, I set it up from the beginning. I put Adam and Eve in the garden to work it and guard it. Why did Adam and Eve need to guard the garden? Who's going to come in and steal anything? The animals. (laughs) At the time of the Garden of Eden, all the animals ate plants. Go back and read Genesis chapter 1. Here's Adam and Eve, you know, and they got their tomatoes and their peppers and their cucumbers and their squash, and, you know, you can just see kind of a line of hungry animals just waiting to eat that. That's like the deer in my garden now, come to think about it, (laughs) but in any case, you know, so... He's saying, you know, God designed us to work and enjoy the fruit of our labor. So when we eat our bread with pleasure and drink our wine with a merry heart, the reason God's accepted our works is he said, that's the way I designed it. You work and then you enjoy the fruit of your labor. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9. Indeed, if a man lives many years, let him rejoice in them all but let him remember the days of darkness. That's when you're dead, for they will be many. And then he says, verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth, and walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. You know, you see what's in front of you. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. And then he says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. That's correct. You see, like I said in the beginning, we want to enjoy life. You know, the the teaching that we have to be sober minded and we can't enjoy life and we have to be serious all the time. See, that's that's very hurtful. And then, you know, you kind of get built into you this inner guilt that if I'm enjoying life or if I'm spending my money on myself that somehow or other doesn't please God or I'm not doing enough for God. That's not true. God designed us. Do we want to spend every dime we make on ourselves? Of course not. Like I say, we, we, we balance this with wisdom and realizing we're going to be at the judgment, just like it says here in the verse, you know, know for all these things, God will bring you into judgment, and He will. But this is an important teaching for people who have an internal conversation about the fact that they always need to be serious, they always need to be sober, they can't spend any money on themselves, they can't take any time for themselves, and they have this kind of a tape playing in their head that makes life self-defeating and makes life sad. And God doesn't want us to be that way. What does God speak from heaven? I recommend the enjoyment of life. That's what God says.